from you, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Okay. Notice we have those definitions there of those three words. For new, predestined, and justify. That gives us some clarification there. In verse 28, we note that Paul wrote that all things work together for good to those who love God. Not some things. All things. No matter how bad the situation or circumstance you're going through may be, the Bible reminds us that all things work together for good. Now, you may not be able to see the good at the outset. You may not even be able to see it for a while. But the fact of the matter remains that God works out all things for good. If God allows it to happen, He's working it out. And uh, we just need to trust Him. It's difficult for us to conceive that everything that happens to us, whether good or bad, can work together in a positive way. That's difficult to grasp sometimes. We just don't get it. Yet, in His providence, God does have the ability to work through any circumstance or event, including pain, suffering, sin, and temptation, to accomplish good in our lives. There are two qualifications for individuals to claim the promise found in, verse, in, the, in this verse. One, those who love God. Though some people say, well, you know, this didn't, I had this experience and it didn't work out for me. The question you need to ask him is, do you love God? Do you love God? Do you demonstrate your love for God? What is the qualification or, uh, that the Bible gives us for loving God? What is it? Anybody? Huh? Obedience. Obedience is one way we show that we love God. And so if a person is not obeying God, then they're not showing that they love God. And the, 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 the qualifications for all things working out for good to those uh, is for those who love God. And secondly, are called according to His purpose. So two qualifications that would uh, be needed for, for all things to work together for good for you. One is you've got to love God, and second, you've got to be called according to God's purpose. And uh, only God knows what that purpose is. These two expressions describe Christians. And so a Christian can be described as a person who loves God and a person who is called according to God's purpose. And then verse 29, at verse 29, what does verse 29 say? For those who he foreknew, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he could be firstborn among many brothers. The ultimate goal of God's purpose for Christians is that they be, is that we be conformed to the image of his son. What does conform mean? It means that in the same form. This means that as Christ followers, we should naturally grow to resemble Christ in a couple of ways. In our thoughts, in our words and actions as we mature as believers. Not only that, but Christ is the firstborn among many brothers. Firstborn implies that 
applies to Christ's preeminent highest position. It does not imply that there was a time when he did not exist. Okay, that's not what firstborn means in this context. He always existed uh, with the Father and the Spirit because he's God. Okay, question number two on page 48. What does it say? Okay, what do you experience when you read these verses, these three verses? What kind of emotions do you have? Anybody? No emotions when you read these verses? How do you feel? Okay, being able to trust God no matter what happens. Okay, that's called assurance, right? You have assurance when you read these verses. Uh, you're assured there's no <coughs> big question mark lurking in your minds of what if. People always have those questions, what if? And so they bring assurance. Okay, uh, let's look at, let's have someone read the paragraphs on page 48. Anybody? God has a plan for your life. Because, importantly, God has always had a plan for your life. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Unfortunately, we often miss the comforting truth of God's plan because we allow the problems and trials of life to overwhelm us. That's why Romans 8.38 is helpful. Paul reminds us that none of the setback or problems we face can cross God's good purpose for our lives. In fact, those very problems can be a part of God's plan of bringing about the good purpose in us. Still, the good God wants to accomplish doesn't happen automatically. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. The verb tense for the phrase in the Greek language means those who continually love Him. As we continue to seek, follow, and love the one who save us and call us, God can and will, using every everything in our lives to bring good into our lives. The good, the ultimate good that God will work in our lives is tied to the purpose for us. So what is God's plan and purpose? As much as we love to quote Romans 8.28, we often fail to read it in light of the verses that follow. God's purpose is for us to be conformed to the image of His Son. God, um, verse 29, God wants to use everything we experience to make us more and more like Jesus. God's purpose and plan for us spans eternity. God foreknew us, predestined us, called us, justified us, 
and glorify us. His plan is for us to be like his son, who's known in the eternity past and in the future. When we are glorified, we will be mature, complete, and totally comfort, comforted to the image of Jesus. Okay, as conformed to the image of Jesus. Okay, a couple of points uh, that come out of that. Uh, one is, God has a plan for your life. You believe that? That's right, God does have a plan. Not because you don't know it means that He doesn't have one. God has a plan for your life. Just as importantly, God has always had a plan for your life. Okay, in other words, there's never a time that we existed or before we existed that God didn't have a plan. You know, uh, sometimes people uh, have children and they didn't plan to have them, and they just came, and then they had to make a plan. Well, that's not the way it was with us, okay? God had a plan for our lives before, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world, before creation, God had a plan for us. Unfortunately, the second point is, unfortunately, we miss the comforting truth of God's plan because we allow the problems of life the problems and trials of life to overwhelm us. Okay? In other words, we get so caught up in the problems and the trials of what we are going through that we miss the comforting truth of God's plan. And then the third point mentioned here is God's purpose and plan for us spans eternity. God foreknew us, predestined us, called us, justified us, and glorified us. And we can look at those words uh, and see what they all mean to us, for us. Uh, the words foreknew, justified, or predestined, justified, and glorified. What do they mean? Hmm? Okay, good. Okay, Paul, Paul explained that God foreknew and predestined believers to be conformed to the image of His Son. To have foreknowledge is to have the ability to know what will occur before it happens. Okay, that's like what the people call tell in the future. Okay, only God could do that. Alright? Now the devil would have some people believe that they could do that. Okay, what they call the, the fortune tellers. Uh, the devil of, of, uh, uh, made them believe that they could tell the future. And um, that is a very dangerous ground that those people are following, for, following on because uh, those people are involved in in, uh, in the spirit realm, which is very, very dangerous because whenever a person uh, gives themselves over to, to say they tell in the future, they open themselves up to demonic spirits because it's demonic spirits that actually tell them what they think is going to happen. But God is the only one who could tell the future. In, in His omniscience, God has known about and seen all the events of history before any occurred. All the events of history, God saw them before they happened. 
He knew the end before the beginning. Okay, and God is the only one who knows that. The end before the beginning. The term predestined comes from a Greek word meaning to determine or set apart beforehand. To determine or set apart beforehand. In Scripture, God is the only one who predestines. The issue of predestination in regard to salvation is much debated. The process of salvation is a mystery, and it hinges on two important aspects. God's sovereignty and the individual's free will. Both of these aspects are present in the Bible. In our human understanding, it is impossible to harmonize the two seemingly opposing forces of sovereignty and free will. However, with God, who is all-present, all-powerful, and all-knowing, there's no conflict between the two. In other words, we may get confused by it, but it doesn't confuse God. Okay? So those God who, who God foreknew and predestined, predestined, he also called by his spirit to become Christians. Those who God, God called, he also justified. To be justified is to be, kicked, to, to be declared what? Righteous. That is, it doesn't mean you're righteous, you mean you're declared righteous. In other words, God sees you through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know a lot of times we go through stuff and we don't feel righteous. You know, they ain't talking about feelings here. Okay? You can feel unrighteous as much as you like. It doesn't change the fact that God has declared you righteous because He sees you through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so don't go by feelings. You are righteous. At the moment of salvation through faith, the believer is legally declared to be forever righteous before God. Notice, legally declared, and this is according to God's legal system, legally declared righteous before God, and nobody can change that. You know, there's no, no um, court of appeal that can change that. God made that declaration, and it's done. It's a done deal. Okay, you're righteously forever declared righteous before God because of Jesus' perfect righteousness is imputed or credited to the believer as a gift. And so, so salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. A lot of people are trying to work for their salvation. It doesn't happen. It never will happen. It's a gift. It's been credited to us. It's like someone putting some money to your account that you don't deserve. You got credited. And while the believer still struggles with personal sin, that's the reality of it, the believer standing before God remains unaffected by any such sin. And I know sometimes we, we sin and we mess up and we say, Oh Lord, I mess up again. I, am I lost again? How does that affect my standing, my status? It doesn't change anything. Okay? And that's why God made a provision for us when it comes to sin. And so the verse ends with a promise that those God has justified, He also glorified. Do you feel glorified? I know you don't feel glorified. Okay? God's plan, which began with His foreknowledge, ends with His glorification for the believer, of the believer. The time of our glorification as believers is that future event when we shall be transformed 
receiving our new perfect eternal bodies and living with the Lord forever in heaven. Okay, so the time of our glorification is incomplete. It's going to come. It's coming. Okay, as we move to verse 31-34, we can echo Paul's question. What then are we to say about these things? You have a book? You want one? Yes. Okay, where's Albert? When Albert comes back, he'll get you a book. Uh, they're $3, so you can get one from him. Uh, don't worry if you don't have the money, pay later. Just get the book. Okay. I, think we, I, be, I think we may have one more about there. So you, you want to turn to page 47. Okay, so as we move to verses 31 to 34, we can echo Paul's own question. What then are we to say about these things? Okay, let's have someone read verses 31 to 34, please. What then are we to say about these things? That God is for us, who is against us. He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up. For us Okay, notice verse 31. In the previous verse, in the previous verses, Paul demonstrated the lengths to which God has gone to save us from his own wrath and give us victory over sin, death, and the grave. In this verse, that is verse 31, he posed a question to his readers, and of course to us. What then are we to say about these things? Okay, so he makes a statement, he said, okay, now what do you think about these things? Or what do you say about these things? That's the question. If, they, if there were any doubts among Paul's readers as to true death of God's love for believers in Christ, Paul sought to remove any such doubt with a series of what we may call rhetorical questions. And now there's questions you don't necessarily have to answer. Rhetorical questions, the answer to each of these questions is a resounding no. In other words, you already know the answer to the question. You don't necessarily need to ask the question. That's why they're called rhetorical, because the answer is obvious. The wondrous truth is that is even though we often still fall into sin, God is for us. Even though we fall into sin, God is... You know, sometimes... Uh, you have, a, you have a relationship with somebody and, uh, and, uh, and you mess up and then they just give up on you. They just throw you out to the dogs. You know, that's it. I've, I've had it with you. Okay? That's not the way it is with God. Okay? We mess up, God is still for us. No matter how many times we mess up, God is not, never going to come to the point where we say, okay, that's it. I've had it. I mean, you've had it. You, 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 you really overdid it this time. I'm, I'm done with you. Okay? God doesn't do that. 
Okay, no matter how often we fall into sin, God is for us and will remain so forever. Now, of course, there's going to be some judgment coming later on uh, for the things that we've done, but God is not going to throw you out in the trash. Okay? Remember, the Bible says that we're going to have to give an account for everything that we've done in this body, in the flesh. Okay? So there's some consequences coming later on when we stand before God and have to give an account for the things that we have done in the flesh, as the Bible says. Uh, we're not going to get thrown out. Okay? And since God has proven to us that He is for us, Paul then asks, who can come against us as followers? God is mightier than all our foes combined. And He is more than able to defend us. Don't think that God cannot help you when you get into trouble, because He can. No matter how overbearing or overpowering the forces that come against you may be, God is mightier than all of them. And sometimes I, I think we get into situations where it seems hopeless. You know, and we say, oh Lord, who can help me? You know, I was, um, my um, bosses came to town yesterday and I picked them up uh, from the airport, dropped them home, and um, when I pulled out of the, out of the, the, the street onto Bay Street, my phone rings. The wife is calling me, Mr. Pears, you got to come back. There's a flood. I said, what? I just left there. Everything was fine. Okay. Um, no sooner I hung up the phone, the son called me from the UK. Mr. Pears, my, my mother just called me. They have a flood. Could you check it out? Okay. I go back, and there's water coming out of the light fixtures and out of the, the air-conditioned vents and running down the walls. And... Uh, and it was raining too outside, so I said, this couldn't be a leak because they're on the fifth floor of this building. Of course, that's the top floor, but oh, it can't be a leak. And then when you look at the structure of the building, you, you, there's no ceiling you can get into, okay? Because everything is the top floor, the, the top of the building is a slab. And, and so it's, it, 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 it appeared to be a seemingly impossible situation. Okay, how in the world do you deal with this? And sometimes we get into problems where we look at it and say, this is impossible. How, how, how do we deal with this? Where do you start? You know, so when we first thing is it, well, I said, obviously it looks like a plumbing problem because the roof definitely leaking. So we end up calling the property manager for the development, called a plumber uh, to turn off all the breakers because water's coming out of the light fixtures, turn off all the breakers and call the electrician and call the water people who could clean up all the mess and call everybody. Right, and so I had to stay behind and coordinate all of that until those people get there. But um, it was a it was it, it was a seemingly impossible situation. When you run and turn off turn off the water valves and all the water, then the water came gushing even more. I mean, you just turn the valves off and all the water came gushing, and then start coming from other parts of the building or the roof. Okay, it was a mess, but it was a seemingly impossible situation. I said to myself, "How in the world? How in the world do you, do you fix this? Well, what do you do?" Because you can't go on the roof, it's five stories high, okay? And so the plumber was a blessing. And I remember the plumber came and he, he, uh, he went into the ceiling and he started looking and he cut, cut out uh, some holes in the ceiling to see where the water was coming from. And, uh, and all, all of us were sitting out there, the property manager, the, the, the homeowners, uh, everybody was sitting around waiting. And when he, when he came out, 
Uh, everybody looked at him. There was conversation going on, but when he came out, everybody stopped and looked at him. And he, and he, and he joked, and he said, boy, I feel like a surgeon. <laughs> you know, you come out of surgery, and everybody's sitting around waiting, and all the conversation stops, and everybody started looking at you, because they want to find out what, you know, what happened, what, what's going on. And he was able to explain to us what happened. There was a pipe in the ceiling, and there was a manufactured a flaw in the pipe being made, and the pipe cracked when the pressure went on it and bust in the ceiling, and there's no manhole. So you've got to cut out all the drywall in the ceiling to be able to get to it. But anyway, he was able to get the problem solved. The point I'm making is, we find ourselves in seemingly impossible situations, and we wonder, you know, you cannot see any possible way of resolving this issue. Okay? But there are others who are professionals in the field who wouldn't panic like you, because they know exactly what to do. Well, that's the way God is. God doesn't panic when we get in a situation, so we shouldn't panic either. Well, they were able to get the problem resolved. Uh, the, the electrician came in and he was able to check out all the breakers, make sure nothing was shorting out and everything. And, uh, and so and a, a, a 12.30 pickup from the airport and drop room turned out to be a 4 o'clock. I didn't leave that until about 4 o'clock. Okay, because before I leave, I had to make sure that everything was, was in place, everything was working and there was nothing uh, wrong. But God is able to resolve all the situations that we find ourselves in. And so even though we encounter a situation that may seem impossible, God can fix it. Okay, let's look at page 49. And uh, let's have someone read uh, the paragraphs on page 49. Can anyone read Romans 8, 28 through 30 and not see God is on our side? The truth of God, goodness, and love should touch us deeply. Immediately after the passage, Paul asks, What then are we to say about these things? He then asks a series of questions to help us see the natural conclusion of God's goodness and love. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one is greater than God. And since God is on our side, we have no worries. Paul presented his case by arguing the greater to the lesser. God is so much in our corner that he gave his greatest treasure, his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for our sins. Mm -hmm. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? The people of this world can try to make accusations mm -hmm. against us because we don't follow their ways. But nothing they say has merit with God. Why? Because God is the one who justifies. Verse 33. Jesus took all our sins the basis for any accusation against us upon himself on the cross. Who is the one that condemns? The only one who has the right to condemn us is Jesus Christ. Yet he did just the opposite. He made it possible for all, all condemnation to be removed. Jesus died in our place and he continues to stand for us. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Verse 34. 
I am thankful for friends who lift me up in prayer. I value their intercession on my behalf, and most, and most especially, I value the intercession of Jesus Christ. He never condemns me. Rather, he is always on my on my side and continually interceding for me at the at the Father. God gave Jesus his very best for us, and Jesus is now interceding for us to give us abundant life and work his good in our lives. Okay. Now notice the question uh, number three. When has it been obvious God is for you? When has it been obvious that God is when you found yourself in a situation where you realize that, hey, God is really for me, and that you never really thought about it before, but you find yourself in a situation that God came through. We've had those experiences, right? Only God could have done this. Only God. And I've had many of those experiences. Okay, verses 35 to 39, uh, we see two more rhetorical questions from the Apostle Paul along with a passionate and powerful promise. <coughs> Verses 8 to 30, 835 to 39. Who gets separated from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loves us, who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or death or any other created thing, will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at the paragraphs on page 50. Paul asks one final question to highlight our security in God's goodness and love. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35. Even though we, have, we, we may acknowledge God's love, we may acknowledge God loves us and sent His Son to die for us, we often think of us, think our salvation will change our status with God. That when we do something wrong, we cause Him to love us less. Similarly, Satan often attempts to undermine our security in God. Satan desires to steal our joy, kill our spirit, and destroy our future. John 10.10 10. Yet, once we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, the only damage Satan can do to us is make us believe we are not good enough for God. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing in life can change the way God loves us. But that doesn't mean we won't face difficulties. Paul quoted Psalm 44.22 Because of you, we are slain all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. To show that God's people have faced opposition in the past and will continue to face opposition. The troubles we face are nothing new. In Romans 8, 37-39, Paul expresses confidence that he, has, that he was more than victorious by listing a full spectrum of, of things 
people might consider barriers to their relationship with God. He listed physical dangers, supernatural powers, and extremes in time and distance. He summed it up with any other created thing. Yet his conclusion is that nothing, absolutely nothing, will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. According to verse 39. When we belong to God, we are His permanent possession. No, we are not perfect. We still struggle with our sinful nature. But God will not abandon us. We are and, all, and we always will be secure in the love of Christ. And that's a tremendous assurance. Question number four. Why is it sometimes difficult to accept the truth of these verses? And question number five. What options do we have for communicating these truths to others? Two questions I want you to ponder and to think about. Our time is running out so we've got to wrap it up. But those two questions think about uh, and try to write out an answer for them. Okay, let's look at Live It Out on page 52 as we wrap it up because our time is going here. Um, how, will we, how will you respond in the coming days to God's goodness and promise of ultimate victory? Consider the following suggestions. One, look to his word. When you begin to feel as if life is slipping out of control, take refuge in the truth of the scriptures. Consider printing a small card with the text of Romans 8, 31 to 39, so you'll have access to these truths whenever you need them. Just write it on a small card and keep it in your purse or your, your wallet or your pocket, and whenever trouble, trial come, pull it out and say, here, Satan, look at this. You know, okay? Express yourself. The scriptures are filled with expressions of praise and thanksgiving to God for his goodness. When you have some time, craft your own response to God's goodness in a way that fits your talents and personalities. And then three, encourage others. We all have people going through, we all know people going through difficult times. I don't think any of us knows somebody who ain't going through difficult times, right? We know somebody who's going through difficult times. When you encounter a friend in need of encouragement, don't ignore the situation. Take a moment to pray with them and express your confidence in God's goodness and love. And again, there's no, there's no need to hype our experience with God. That's because His goodness and love always live up to His promise. Accordingly, we can go about our lives secure in the knowledge of his victory. We are victorious persons in Christ. And we need to remember that at all times. Amen? Amen.